0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. You'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Revelation 2 verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So as you remember from last week, the book of Revelation was authored by the Apostle John. And it was done so in about 95 A.D., which is roughly 60 years after Christ's ministry, His death and His resurrection. And John had been sent to the island of Patmos as a political criminal against the Roman government, and he had been sent there for preaching the gospel. And while in exile on that island, Christ appeared to John in a vision, and He told him to write down what He was about to see and hear. So Jesus is speaking to John, and He says in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. And just like last week, the word angel refers to a messenger. So Jesus is writing or directing him to write this message to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, probably the bishop or the pastor who would be responsible for the reading and teaching of this letter to the congregation or congregations there. Now, Smyrna was located about. 35 miles north of Ephesus. So as we talked about Ephesus last week, Smyrna is 35 miles north of there. And though it was probably not as economically vibrant as Ephesus, it was still very important to the region. In fact, it was considered one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. But in addition to being known for its beauty, it was especially known for its loyalty to the Roman government. In fact, in 26 AD, uh, Smyrna competed with other cities Uh, Much like a city might compete today for the Olympics or to be the the home of a sports team, they competed with other cities to be the location for a temple that was going to be dedicated to the emperor Tiberius. And they competed and they won because of their loyalty to Rome. But by the time this letter was written, sometime later, about 70 years after that, the emperor Domitian was in power. And this particular emperor was more forceful than all of his predecessors and demanding that his subjects worship him. And the demand of the, that was placed on the city of Smyrna was readily accepted because they were loyal to Rome. They had a long-standing devotion to Rome and her rulers. But as we will see from this letter, the church, the church there in Smyrna, they, they didn't participate in emperor worship, but instead they remained devoted to the Lord. And in fact, this letter, which is written to the church there, does not contain a rebuke of any sort. What an amazing testimony to their faithfulness. That He doesn't rebuke them. In the midst of this culture, He doesn't rebuke the church in Smyrna at all. So just like each of these other other letters written to the seven churches, the author is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we work through this, we're going to see that Jesus is the author. But as we mentioned last week, Jesus describes Himself in a unique way in each of these churches. So how does He describe Himself here? Well, Look at verse 8. Verse 8 of Revelation 2. Jesus calls Himself the first and the last. The one who was dead and has come to life. And in this statement, the first and the last, Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. If we read Isaiah 44.6, we read, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. And there is no God besides me. So Jesus, by saying, I am the first and the last, He's saying, I am God. Jesus wants the church in Smyrna to be reminded of that fact. He wants them to be reminded that He is the one who is in control. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then He says, the one who is dead. The one who has come to life. And Jesus is reminding them that He conquered death. He's reminding them that even though He suffered and died on a cross, He did so for a purpose. You see, He's reminding them of the Gospel. He's reminding them that He came and He suffered and He died, but He defeated death on that third day. So what we're about to see as we move through this letter is a church that's living in a hostile environment. A church that's about to face some very difficult circumstances. And some of them would even die because of their faith. And in that situation, Jesus comes to them and He wants them to know right from the onset that He is God, that He is in control, and that even though He died, He died for a purpose. And He defeated death by being raised on the third day. So now let's look at what He says to this church. Look at the next couple of sentences in our text this morning. Starting at verse 9, we read, Jesus saying, I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. So the first point in our sermon outline is do not fear. The first point is do not fear. The word tribulation here means troubles or suffering. And it's not used in Scripture to speak of a slight inconvenience. We think of tribulation as like, well, I went to Moody's Diner and I said grace and somebody gave me a dirty look. Like, we think that's persecution in our lives. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a significantly difficult situation, a life-altering situation, serious trouble. So apparently the Christians living in Smyrna, they didn't always experience ease, but instead they faced trials, And life for them was hard. It was really hard being a Christian in Smyrna. Notice also that Jesus says that He knows their poverty. And the word used for poverty here carries with it the idea of not just having very little, but instead the idea of not having enough. He says, I know that you don't have enough. And it carries with it the idea of having to rely on others to provide for their needs. You see, we think of poverty as, well, I drive a 2001 Saturn Ion, right? the I assure you, that, on some level that seems like poverty when I, when I go out to my car and it doesn't start, which it didn't the other day, and didn't for two days in a row and I had to take my wife's car. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not ha- talking about not having much. He's talking about not having enough. Not knowing where their next meal would even come from. You see, it's likely that many of the Christians in Smyrna, they were slaves. So most of them own nothing at all. So, Jesus says to them that he knows that they suffer. He knows that they are poor. And then he says this amazing statement. He says, But you are rich! And he reminds them that they are rich. And you read this. You can't help but think, or at least I couldn't help but think of Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves they don't break in and steal. See, the Christians in Smyrna, they may not have had many earthly possessions. They couldn't even guarantee where their next meal was coming from. But they were rich in that that which mattered. See, they apparently had stored up for themselves treasures in heaven. And we often apply the verse that says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, we often apply that to those who are rich. We say, oh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. As though being rich automatically means that you love money. Or that loving money means that you're automatically going to be rich. However, that verse, this verse, can apply to those who are poor as well. So the question is, did the the Christians in Smyrna, did did they love money? Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-11 with me. We see this verse. It says, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6-11. It says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content." But those who want to get rich, so not, not those who are rich, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, by longing for, desiring more money, have wandered away from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You see, the church in Smyrna, they were poor. But they did not long for money either. They weren't poor and said, Oh, if only we were rich, if only we were rich. They were content with what they had for material possessions, which was next to nothing. What they longed for and pursued was righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. We know this. We know this because Jesus doesn't come to them and rebuke them. He comes to them and says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich! Oh, what wonderful words to hear from Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus coming to us? Can you imagine Him coming to us and saying, I know your pain and your troubles. I know that you're poor, but you are rich. I know whatever you're going through. See, they were storing up treasures in heaven. They were pursuing things that matter. For Jesus to come to us and say, Harmony Bible Church, you are rich. What a blessing that would be. And that's what He says to the church here in Smyrna. Then Jesus goes on to say that He knows. And the word knows, by the way, is not just intellectual knowledge. He's saying, I understand. I I empathize. I know. Like I know my bride. He's saying, I know. I, I fully understand. I love you in this way. He says, He knows the blasphemy they face." By those who say they are Jews and are not, but instead they're a synagogue of Satan. The word "blasphemy means slander, or to speak words with harmful intent. You see, the Jews in the local synagogue in Smyrna? they were speaking out against the Christians, and they're bringing further persecution on them by the things they're saying. So they're speaking out against the Christians, and they're bringing further persecution kind of hostility is not unique to the church in Smyrna either. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you see a lot of this. You see a lot of the, the Jews being hostile to Jesus and his followers. And in some sense, this isn't a justification, but it's, it's natural that there would be some hostility. For Jesus came and said things like, tear down this temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus said some pretty hard things for many of the Jews to see to hear they needed to see Jesus for who he was as the Christ. When you read through the book of Acts you find many instances where the Jewish leaders they stand opposed to the church. Look at Acts chapter 17 with me Acts chapter 17 we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And as you turn there you find that As we turn there, we're going to find that Paul has just spent three weeks teaching in the synagogue in Thessalonica. And he went to the synagogue and he was teaching, and then Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 4, it says this, And some of them, the Jews to whom he was teaching, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, meaning the leaders particularly, became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities. And they were shouting, These men have upset the world. And they've come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. Then he says this, And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there's another king Jesus you see the jewish leaders they didn't have authority to get rid of the christians so they rallied the roman government against them by accusing them of all sorts of things one of them being that they were hostile to rome and if you understand new testament history early church history you know that the christians were accused of all sorts of things they celebrated love feasts and they said they're immoral people. They have these big feasts and they all get together and they love each other in these immoral ways. They celebrate communion. They're, they're cannibals. They're eating the body of, and blood of Jesus. They said they're atheists for they reject the Roman gods. They reject the Jewish God. All kinds of things were said about the Christians throughout the world and particularly in Smyrna. It's the same thing we see in the Gospels where the Jewish leaders were accused, they they accused Jesus of forbidding the payment of taxes to Caesar. They said, this man, he he not only rejects Caesar, but he, he says that the Christians shouldn't pay taxes, that people should not pay taxes to Caesar, when in fact, he said just the opposite. See, sure, the Christians, they were indeed proclaiming Jesus as their king, and rightfully so. But as Jesus said, His kingdom was not of this world. Therefore, they were not seeking to overthrow the Roman government, but instead they were living out their call to obedience to the Lord and then the earthly rulers that God had placed over them. Yet the church in Smyrna, they're slandered nonetheless. And why were they slandered? Why would they slander this church? Because of their love for Jesus. And Jesus, frankly, is a dividing line. Jesus Himself said, He who is not with Me is against Me. And he who does not gather with Me scatters. See, because the Jews in Smyrna had rejected Jesus as their Savior, they were hostile toward those who were claiming that He was the Christ. You cannot be ambivalent about Jesus. You're either for Him or you're against Him why Jesus says this blasphemy, this slander, he says was by, was by those who say they are Jews, and they're not. but they're the synagogue of Satan. By rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God and therefore agreeing with the devil. They have taken sides with the devil. Listen to Jesus in, in John 8 verses 37 through45. You don't need to turn there, you can' if you want John 8 verses 37 through 45 says this, I know that you are Abraham's descendants," this is Jesus speaking, "yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which you have seen, which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father." They answered and said to him, "Abraham is our father." And Jesus said to them, "If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham but as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I learned, I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. We were not born of fornication. We have one God, one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but of He who sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks... A lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. So Jesus says to these Jews in Smyrna, says, they are the synagogue of Satan and not Jews at all because they have not trusted God. But instead, they've placed their trust in their lineage. Just like the Jews in John 8 who said, Abraham is our father. They too were trusting in the fact that they were Jews. Righteous Jews. Jews by birth. And Jesus is saying what Paul says in Romans 9. He says, They are not all Israel who descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children who are of the flesh of the flesh who are the children of God. Just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean that you're a child of God. God is what He's saying. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants, those who have followed God. And by denying Jesus and seeking to destroy the church, the Jews in Smyrna had joined forces with Satan. And they had become enemies of the church. That's why Romans, He says, they are enemies of the gospel. And Jesus is not telling the church He's not telling this to the church in Smyrna because he wants them to have bitterness or resentment for the Jews. Jesus isn't saying this out of hatred for the Jews. He's telling them this because he wants them to know who it is who is slandering them. He wants them to know who is threatening them. And he says, Those who are threatening you, they're on the wrong side. They're on the side of the one who has already been defeated, Satan. And therefore, you have nothing to fear. It's an encouraging word to the church. You have nothing to fear. For they don't represent me. They represent their father, the devil. So the first point in your sermon outline is, do not fear. Do not fear. Jesus says, I know your trials. I know your poverty, but you're rich. You're, st- you're storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. I know those who blaspheme you, but, but they, have, they serve a defeated one. They serve a defeated leader. So in light of these things, do not fear. So now we move on to the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is the trials of this life are temporary. Having seen that Jesus says, do not fear, now he says the trials of this life are temporary. Jesus doesn't say, do not fear, because things will get easier. In fact, he he says, he doesn't say, don't fear what you're suffering, what, what you are suffering. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. So he doesn't say, don't fear what's going on in your life. He actually says, do not fear what is about to happen in your life, indicating that things are going to get more difficult. This past week I read a great quote by Paul Tripp. Uh, Paul Tripp says, Comfort is never found in the assurance that your life will be easy and comfortable. True comfort of heart is found in the assurance that you'll have the grace you need to face life when it's hard and uncomfortable. And life is oftentimes hard and uncomfortable. And that's precisely what life was like for the church in Smyrna. Don't miss that. Life was hard. But now Jesus comes to them and he reminds them that the trials of this life are temporary. Look at the next couple of sentences in your text. Starting... Um, in verse 10b, starting about halfway through verse 10, it says, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Jesus is telling the church in Smyrna that some of them are going to be cast into prison. In other words, the devil would seemingly win this battle. The Jews living in Smyrna would... Convince the authorities that the Christians were a threat to Rome. And the Roman government would then persecute them further. But notice also that Jesus says that this particular tribulation, this imprisonment, will last for ten days. This seems like somewhat of an odd statement. And frankly, I struggled with this a little bit this week. What what does Jesus mean when He says, You're going to be thrown into prison, and it's going to last ten days. There's a lot of different ideas about this. And it could mean a literal 10 days. He could be saying, you will literally be thrown into prison for 10, 24 hour periods. However, we also know that this phrase 10 days is used in other parts of Scripture to describe a brief period of time. Genesis 24, 55. When we read there, we read about Rebekah. And she's going with Abraham's servant to marry Abraham. And that verse says, but her brother and her mother, so Rebecca's brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say ten, and afterward she may go. So the point is that in that case, it just means a short period of time. Let her stay with us a few days, say ten days, and afterward she may go. Or in Acts 25, 6, we read, after he, this is the Roman official Festus, after he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and he ordered Paul to be brought. So it just means a short period of time in some instances. And others make the argument that the Lord said 10 days because the Roman government didn't typically keep prisoners for long periods of time. That it literally meant 10 days because Rome wouldn't keep a prisoner for 3 years or 6 years or 10 years or 30 years like we do or, or have somebody serve multiple life sentences like we do in our culture. When someone was accused of a crime, they were quickly placed on trial, within, usually within 10 days. And if found to be guilty, they were either fined, exiled, like John was, right, sent to Patmos, you live there, you're not going to live here in the Roman Empire anymore, or they were killed. And those were the three things. They were fined, sent to exile, or they were killed. They didn't serve long prison sentences, because prisoners were considered a burden to the government. And therefore, they weren't held very long. So whether or not the time of imprisonment was ten literal days, the point is that it would be very brief. They weren't going to be imprisoned for very long. But notice that Jesus doesn't promise them that he's going to free them and vindicate them before the Roman government. He doesn't say, well, you'll go through this trial for 10 days and then you'll have many, many more days to spend your, your life living in happiness. What he says next is quite shocking. He says, be faithful until death. And for many of them, this, this imprisonment, though so short, it was not going to end in their release, but instead in their death. You know, I almost always wait to speak to the application at the end of the sermon. I typically say, so how do we apply all of this as a group, as individuals and as Harmony Bible Church? right? But I don't want to move on without speaking to this, to this issue because I don't want you to miss it. Jesus tells the Jews in Smyrna that they will be imprisoned for a short period of time, ten days. And that imprisonment will end in death. And the thing I want you to take away is that the trials of this life are short. They are as if they are ten days, and you may say you don't know what you're talking about. You're a thirty-five-year-old kid. How do you know what you were talking about? I've been battling sickness my whole life. I I lost my loved one before you were even born. Whereas we discussed in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, you may say, I've been waiting for a spouse for years. Whereas my friends who are raising a severely disabled child who is terminally ill might say, 10 days? Really? 10 days? Try 35 years of raising this child who is terminally ill. No hope, no earthly hope of getting better. 10 days, you say? And I say, yes, ten days. Ten days. And I don't say it lightly, as though it were not a trial, or even that I can fully understand what they are going through. But I say it to say that the trials of this life are temporary. That on the other side of eternity, the trials of this life will seem like ten days. They'll seem brief. That one day, the years may seem brief. They will seem brief. For our lives, they're but a vapor. We're here one day. We're gone the next. So don't miss that. The trials of this life, compared to all of eternity, they're they're brief. So having seen that Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, He says, do not fear. I know your trials. I know your poverty, but you're rich. You're storing up treasures in heaven. I know those who are blaspheming you, but they serve a defeated foe. Don't fear. And then he says the trials in this life, they're they're temporary. You will suffer, but it won't last forever. It will be but ten days. And then thirdly, we move on to the third and final point in our sermon outline. Faithfulness brings about victory. Faithfulness brings about victory. Look at the last part of today's Scripture passage. Starting at the end of verse 10, we read, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You'll receive the crown of life. The crown that is spoken of here is the crown of victory. It's the same crown or or wreath that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. It's the exact same word. Where we translate it wreath in 1 Corinthians 9. But it says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. It's the same word. A crown. But we, an imperishable. What Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna is that faithfulness results in victory. Run! Run so as to win. Because it results in a prize. A prize that cannot be taken away. A prize that is imperishable. A prize that will endure forever. And then He says, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. What is he referring to when he says the second death? Listen to the warning found in Revelation 20, verses 14 through 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, the second death refers to being cast into hell in the final judgment. He says, this is the second death. The lake of fire. So how does one overcome so as to not be hurt by the second death? Because He clearly promises here to the church in, in Smyrna. He says, he who overcomes, he will not be hurt by the second death. And then in, later in Revelation, He says, those who were, whose names are not written in the book of, the, of life, they find themselves experiencing the second death. Well, we read this last week. But listen to the words of 1 John 5, verses 4-5. through For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Same same word, overcomes. You want to overcome? You want to overcome the world? Be born of God. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. The victory is in our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know where each of you stand in relation to Jesus. I know that you're here on Sunday morning. I know that most of you could probably tell me the Gospel. That every person is sinful. That there's a punishment for sin. And that ultimately that punishment is hell, which is pictured here. That... That the proper punishment is separation from God in a place called hell. And that every one of us has fallen short of God's perfect law. God. But Christ, God, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That He was the perfect sacrifice for us. That He interceded for us. So it's as though we're standing in a courtroom. And the judge says, you're guilty. And Jesus walks in and says, I'll take the punishment. And He took the punishment that we rightly deserved. And we have to then believe. We have to then trust in. As we would strap on a parachute, That is not enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but the idea here is, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God means trusting in Jesus. That we place our trust in Him, and that we follow Him. We put on the parachute, so to speak, and step out of the plane. It's not enough to sit on the plane, wait for the plane to go down and say, I got this parachute just in case I need it. You can't have Jesus just in case you need him. You're either trusting in him or you're not trusting in him. See, Jesus is that dividing line. You're either for him or you're against him. So I encourage you today, place your trust in Jesus. There's no fancy, I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle or raise your hand or say some fancy prayer. It's about placing your trust in Jesus. And you need to do that with your own words and your own heart and say, I am sinful and I need a Savior and I know that Christ died for me and I want to live for Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because our victory, it comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you are a believer, that's your victory. That's why Jesus introduces himself in the beginning of this letter. He comes to the church in Smyrna. And he says, I'm the first and the last. I am God, the one who was dead and has come to life. Jesus says, be faithful to me, the one who has overcome death, and you will overcome the second death and be given a victory crown, an imperishable wreath, a prize that will endure forever. You will have eternal life with Christ in heaven. So in review... Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, he says, number one, do not fear. I know your trials. I know your poverty, but you are rich. You're enduring. You're storing up treasure for yourselves in heaven. I know those who blaspheme you, but but they they don't serve me. They serve the devil. Therefore, don't fear. Do not fear. And then he says, the trials of this life, they're temporary. You will suffer, but it won't last forever. It will be but ten days. And then number three, faithfulness. Faithfulness brings about victory. He says, be faithful. Because faithfulness brings about victory. Be faithful to the very end, and when you cross that finish line, you will receive the crown of life. So how do we apply all of this, individually and collectively, As Harmony Bible Church. Well, first of all, we need to hear Jesus speaking to us. That was what Jesus said to the church in Smyrna. So, how do we apply this to our lives? And I pray that we hear Jesus saying to us, both individually and corporately, that He says this. We hear Him saying, Do not fear. Do not fear, Harmony Bible Church. We need not be afraid, even in the midst of the troubles of this world. I don't know how many of you have followed the news or followed the situation with the fire chief in Atlanta who was fired for his Christian beliefs. He wrote a Bible study, a book for his local church to be used in his church. And somebody on the fire department got a hold of this Bible study, this book, and said, you were a bigot, a hateful person, and he lost his job because of this. See, there are troubles in this world. And just as the church in Smyrna was falsely accused, they said, you hate Rome. You hate the emperor. You tell people not to pay taxes. And there were some truths in what they said. They said, you claim that you have this king named Jesus. But they twisted the truth. And just as the fire chief said, homosexuality is a sin, just a small section of this book They twisted it and said, you're a hateful, mean-spirited, bigoted person. Because this life has troubles. But Jesus says, do not fear. And as we live in this culture, gone are the days, I believe, where we will no longer face any kind of persecution. Where we will live happily, where there will be churches on every corner, where there's a Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic. Instead, I think as we stand up and as we say some things are right, some things are wrong, and they're clearly defined in Scripture, not by my voice, but by God's voice, that people will say, You're a bigot and you're fired. Or you're a bigot and you have no right to live here. Or you're a bigot and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you in jail. And I assure you that if I was a pastor in Canada, I probably would already be in jail. It is not that far away, folks. it is on our doorstep, and it is coming this way. Unlikely, it's likely that we will face poverty and hardship, much like the Christians in Smyrna faced. But whether we face poverty or persecution or whatever, we can rest in his sovereign hand. He says, "Do. Not fear. And then he says, and I want you to hear him saying, the trials of this life, they're temporary. May we realize, Harmony Bible Church, that whatever suffering comes our way, it won't last forever. It'll be but ten days. Whether it's sickness, whether it's the, the loss of a loved one, whether it's persecution, whether it's me being thrown in Knox County Jail, which very very well may happen, that that it won't last forever, that it'll be but ten days. And then, hear the Lord Jesus saying to us, faithfulness brings about victory. Faithfulness brings about victory. May we be faithful in running the race until the very end. May we be eager to build each other up, to spur each other on in sharing the gospel and bringing glory to Jesus in all we say and do so that we may cross that finish line, folks, Cross that finish line and be given the victor's crown and hear the words, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that victory. As I was writing this this week, I couldn't help but think of the words of amazing grace. We read, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise Than when we first began. Oh, the trials of this life are temporary, but faithfulness brings about victory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we know that it is only a work of grace in us that we can even be faithful. God, that it is not a pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of faith that we need to have, but instead a complete and total trust in you, knowing that each day as we persevere, we're further indebted to your grace. God, I pray that you'd pour your grace upon us. God, help us to not fear. Help us to see the trials of this life as temporary. And help us, help us, Lord, to be faithful, to be faithful. And experience victory, victory in your son Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you and to God be the glory.